Trish and Nicole and their expert guests are here to answer all your burning questions about aesthetics procedures, candid discussions and stories of the latest trends and greatest gadgets. From dry vagina to frozen faces, Aesthetics Uncensored, where nothing is off limits. Hello listeners, it's Trish Hammond here and Nicole Montgomery. Hi Trish. And today we are joined by AMET founders Bronwyn Granata and Elle Curry. Now Bronwyn and Elle have just, well I don't know how long ago but we'll find out now, just the co-founders of Aesthetic Met. And today we're going to talk about, um, well, first of all, how they started and what they do and why they are so amazing in this industry. So, so welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much Trish and Nicole. Oh, my oh, God. So, so excited to have you here because we've kind of been communicating for a few weeks now and um, I didn't really know about Aesthetic Met because not being um, an industry practitioner, just to consume, I didn't really know. But once I found out, I thought, oh, my God, this is so needed and so good. So so tell us, so how did you, well, first of all, where, do you guys, where did you guys start your career and what brought you to where you are now? Oh, who's going to go first? <laughs> I'll go first then, Bron. <laughs> Looks like she's hand, handing over to me. Um, well, firstly, I guess I'm a, I'm a registered nurse, so I've been nursing for a long time, longer than probably what I'd like to admit. Um, but I first got into aesthetics actually in London. Um, so I worked in a clinic in Knightsbridge there with um, a very experienced cosmetic doctor, Dr. Rita Rakers. And um, I actually got into aesthetics in about 2007 um, and just sort of started, you know, kind of working my way up, I suppose, so, so to speak, I suppose, in the clinic. So starting just from literally reception and pre and post treatment and then eventually obviously got trained up into various different types of energy-based device treatments and then obviously injectables. Um, and then I made my way back over, back to Australia and I actually knew the um, general manager of, of Salter Medical out here at the time, so I'd worked with them over in the UK. And so I actually did some um, sales and clinical training for Salter Medical for a few years and then Bronwyn approached me in the midst of my maternity leave and said that they were looking for um, a trainer for Galderma and and then, yeah, I spent the next sort of four and a half uh, years really working um, for Galderma and then since then I've kind of done some training and um, all of that kind of stuff as a contractual basis. So, um, yeah, we, I certainly, you know, have obviously in that kind of role, in those roles have developed a bit of a commercial interest and understanding, I suppose, from a company like a pharmaceutical and a device background as well as what it's like to obviously be in the clinic. Um, and I think it just naturally identified a lot of gaps. Um, I guess that really the pharmaceutical companies and the device companies, they're not actually able to fill and that's very much in that safety space. Um, and so, and, yeah, and, I guess you, and I guess you kind of, um, you've got that outsider looking in as well, even though you're in it, you've kind of come from correct. the outside looking in as well. Yes, no, absolutely. And, um, and I think, you know, and I'll let obviously Bronwyn tell her experience, but um, I like I, I've so much respect for Bronwyn. She's got so much um, commercial knowledge as well as clinical knowledge as well. So I think what we both bring to the business is very different. I think as well, which is really important. I think uh, if we're both bringing the same kind of experience, then I don't think it really gives as much of an impact. I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and how good is it to, to share the load with someone? I mean, that's how I feel with Nicole, but how good is it to, to not have to be out there on your own, just, you know, oh, 100%. Solo? 
Oh, mm. absolutely. Like we both feed off each other, really, don't we, Bron? <laughs> like, you know. Bronwyn, I would love to ask you, a few yeah. years ago, there was a bit of a shockwave through the industry when um, it became, um, I guess, public knowledge that somebody went blind from having mm. a cosmetic injectable. Had AMET been around at that time, would that have happened? Well, it, I think the article that came out and the, the news about the patient that went blind in Sydney, I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for the industry. Um, and AMET has only been, we've just had our first year anniversary, so we haven't been around for a very long time. Um, but I think that definitely has been a contributing factor and led there. Now, would have that happened? Well, to date, there's still only one reported reversal of a patient going blind with dermal filler um, that was done in Sydney. Um, So we may not have been able to prevent it, but I think there's much more awareness now. And we have an ocular um, complication team that hopefully if a patient ever experiences vision loss and blindness after a dermal filler treatment, we will be able to intervene. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually aware of the physician, um, a physician who treated a patient and the patient went blind and how not only that impacted her life um, and the patient's life, but it is a big call to um, change our industry, I think, and wake up and make sure that we do have an ocular plastic, uh, ocular complication team and nationwide support. So one thing, um, I guess, from giving you my background, I've been in this industry for 18 years. My background is really being commercial. So both international and in Australia, it's really focused on the commercial element of aesthetics. Um, So I was really fortunate. I've grown up in this industry. Um, I'm also a registered nurse and practicing clinic, but my background is very much commercial. And one challenge you have with that is regulatory when you're working for big pharmaceutical devices where there isn't an emphasis on safety. There's actually an emphasis on making sure the drug is administered to a certain way, you know, and essentially there's a there's a commercial element to that and a very high profit. So safety is there, but it's not the main focus. Um, Elle came to me with the vision of AMET and I think it was stemmed from us both being in the industry and feeling like our hands are tied from a regulatory component where people would call us and say, what do I do in this situation? How do I manage that? Um, and I always love to share knowledge. So I most probably overstepped the line several times to make sure the physician was aware and then obviously the patient was safe. And Elle actually had the brainchild of this to say, hey, I think it's um, something we should be looking at doing. And I said, it's the best idea I've heard. I need to jump on this journey and want to be involved in, you know, hopefully if a patient uh, experiences vision loss or um, partial vision loss, we can go into action and have that emergency support for the physician um, to make sure hopefully we can reverse that blindness. So, and that's that's the extreme of what AMET is all about. You know, on the worst day, we're there to help support you. Um, but we're more about trying to shift the focus from people being scared about adverse events and getting them to be empowered that they've got the confidence to manage adverse events and complications, how to prevent it. So we really focus on that and that, 
you know what, these things are going to arise. And instead of everyone not sharing the knowledge or not feeling supported or well connected, we want to offer that. And it can be, we did a recent survey actually in vascular occlusion in the audience is about 30% of complications people have experienced. But one of the most common ones is a delayed onset nodule. And it's mostly a lot harder to treat. And having that support and the protocol on how to manage it and then if needed have field experts and specialist care I think is really critical in us making this industry safer for the consumer at the end of the day um, and the HCPs are aware more so than what um, they're being taught or trained from a um, big pharmaceutical company essentially. Yeah, and I think it's important to highlight, like Bron mentioned, in terms of there just is no framework. So yes, we have we have obviously an educational platform as part of you know the subscription service. So there is kind of immediate access to whatever knowledge you possibly could need, want or need in aesthetic safety. But you know the the idea of the business, I suppose, is to provide as much structure and framework and to be able to help practitioners manage the adverse event in the fastest possible time frame, essentially, because at the end of the day, we are all aware that, you know, let's say, for example, somebody does experience vision loss. Now, even just the protocol, you know, from getting to the clinic to the nearest hospital, you know, it, people are panicking. It's a very emotionally driven event you know this is a hugely emotional space that we're in people are absolutely freaking out obviously and quite quite rightly so then that obviously impacts the patient and that actually also impacts a lot of the management that comes after that and then getting into a hospital that is not familiar with aesthetics you know and even ophthalmologists that hear that this is a side effect of a filler treatment like they unfortunately have there is a stigma there um and that patient isn't prioritised as what they would be if it was a typical case of vision loss in an emergency department. So I think we just need to make sure that, like, and that's our ocular team, right, of people that are obviously ophthalmologists, oculoplastic surgeons, but that are also have an understanding about aesthetics and are absolutely willing to help. And that may be via FaceTime, telephone, giving another ophthalmologist advice but as much of that connection that we can kind of promote and share is always going to give the patient the best possible outcome whether that be an inflammatory nodule being managed as fast as possible or whether it be an occlusion perhaps like there's been multiple cases where we've had to refer an occlusion case because it's not responding to highlays right so a lot of people just think oh I'll just dissolve it and it's not quite that simple in every single occlusion case so we've had to refer to a radiology network as well so I think it's just about the connections that Bromwood and I have established from having worked with these pharmaceutical companies we know and we can see and you know we've had our own experiences right of adverse events and you know even with our networks it's still very you know nerve-wracking um, and I think we can see how isolated people are in those settings and how even if their prescriber you know if they're a nurse as an example even if their prescriber is helping and is contactable you're still kind of by yourself aren't you like and I think it's just being able to pick up the phone and realize that okay oh this is happening to a lot of other people you know you're not alone 
And, and I, I was going to ask, so so does AMED kind of kick in when something goes wrong or, or um, is it is what you guys offer like a preventative as well to help people on the way? Because I know you've got the, yeah. the safety portal. So can you tell us kind of how that works? Bron, do you want to go through that? Or? <laughs> no, you can. Go for yeah, it. No, look, I mean, I think, yeah, absolutely. The, I think there is a perception, obviously, that we are just complication management, but that is only very much one part of um, the, the business, really. Mm-hmm. And very much more what we're trying to focus on and advocate is adverse event prevention. Now, absolutely, adverse events are always going to happen, and they happen inherently in any healthcare setting, right? What I found kind of is that, it seems to be sort of nearly this irrational perception that, oh, it won't happen to me. I mean, it, it is literally a numbers game. It doesn't matter in what healthcare setting it is, right? There is always going to be something that will go wrong. And I feel like people take it very personally when something goes wrong, right? Whether it be an occlusion, they take it, the practitioner takes it on board as it's they've done something wrong because even when we're helping facilitate, they're saying, but I used a cannula, but I did this, but I did that, right? And our job is to just literally triage the case to refer on so we're not we're not you know there's a million different ways to inject right and so I think it's about actually bringing people information that is anatomically based with regards to techniques so you know in other words like we have safety guidelines on there but they're very top line we have to be very careful right because we don't want people to look at our platform as an alternative to training Mm -hmm. on how to inject so we know we have to kind of give the right information, but we're not in the space of teaching you how to do cheeks or how to do lips. We're in the space of, do you know what? If you're doing a lip treatment, this is where the vessels lay. And if you're using a needle, you need to be in X depth. Or if you're using a cannula, you will be in this depth, right? So just to be mindful of where you are. And so it's very much kind of getting them to really when they're injecting peeling back kind of the layers, you know, in their head and kind of going, okay, what layer am I in? What vessel is there? You know, and what is kind of the best technique in terms of safety, right? So it's very much looking at that safety first, aesthetics results second, okay? Because there's certainly a lot of techniques that give amazing aesthetic results, but maybe perhaps they're not, they run a higher risk, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just kind of making people a little bit more respectful, I suppose, of the anatomy, Um, as well as the immune response to these treatments as well. Um, And then so we've got obviously protocols which have been, you know, um, reviewed and we do review them kind of at least annually, if not not more frequently by the advisory panel. Um, And then unbiased filler and botulinum toxin information in there so that's so you're not reliant on the pharma companies to give you their version of events I think is really important. Um, But most importantly, we've got hyaluronidase information in there. So there is no, I mean, whilst there might be some hyaluronidase training in within um, aesthetic injectable courses, it's very limited, as is complication training, um, because they've got to use their time, you know, to get them to learn how to inject, and that's we're taking it the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got videos there showing dilutions. And it also hyaluronidase isn't something that you use on a daily basis, right? So if you kind of aren't using it very often, then you'll tend, if you don't use it, you lose it. So it's about making sure that even if they've learnt it in a training course many months ago or years ago, when it comes time to using it, they have a very quick resource as a refresher, I think, which is really, really important. 
Um, and I'm sure I've missed some other things, which <laughs> from one, I'm the only thing we are able to provide as well is really good in depth because we are unbiased, we're unpolitical. We don't provide, we don't sell any medicine. We do provide a lot of off-label indication information that is based on scientific literature. And that's where I think physicians struggle because they're taught a certain way, which is what the PI states in terms of the medicine, but they're actually not talked about the off-label indications that are used very frequently in this industry and have a really safe way um, and an educational way to find, um, you know, the scientific literature. And then we've made it a, in a really digestible educational platform for people to have there. Um, so, but I think I'll cover it. We've tried to really go away from the how-to, but, you know, the consultation process and very much what you guys are about as well. It's about, you know, how do you recognize body dysmorphic patients? How do you manage body dysmorphic patients? You know, is it is it ethical to treat? How do you treat? And so we have a lot of literature and guidelines and um, information on areas that may not be as sexy as, you know, a beautiful pair of lips, but it's really looking at that patient holistically. And so I think if we can provide that in an unbiased way, it's a bit more of a safer field for patients to come into the aesthetic space and be confident that the physician they're choosing has information at hand that's going to give them the best service overall. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I forgot to mention as well, actually, is we have a centralised regulatory section. So Mm -hmm. for people getting into the industry, obviously, or they even are, are in the industry, you know, there's a lot of different departments. There's the health departments, there's APRA, there's medical board guidelines, there's, you know, and obviously the health departments vary from state to state right and they all have different kind of rules and regulations and you've got poison standards and that you have to go to I don't know how many different websites <laughs> to kind of get the right information that's relevant for you in your state and in your practice and so we've basically brought all of those documents and some of them will be on links too so they're not necessarily pdfs but we've put the links in the centralized section so as an example there's been recent updates um and in particular with regards to TGA looking at um, making a mandatory, mandatory requirement for what they call patient implant cards, so any kind of medical device, which is what dermal filler is, um, requires a, the patient to have a copy or a, or a patient implant card, which shows the product, the, the batch, the area injected, the date, that kind of thing. And so the manufacturing site. Totally. And I think that the communication from those regulatory bodies into the aesthetic space is definitely needs improving. Um, And so what we're trying to do is obviously to have enough of a reach to be able to kind of be some sort of assistance, right, with that communication pathway. Um, And so, and then the other notion is as well, we're we're also kind of aware that the patient implant cards are being done in the actual filler box itself, right? Now, I don't know about, you know, what you guys know in terms of aesthetics, but I use many different fillers (laughs) and I might use, two or three different types on a face, right? One from one company, one from another. Now, I'm not going to give three cards to a patient. Like that just seems very disjointed. And for me, I actually feel like to the patient that looks very disjointed and it actually is kind of reflective that there isn't a centralised kind of, you know, framework of regulation in the industry. So we've kind of created 
you know, an implant card, which we're in the process of kind of getting reviewed and, and things like that, which we'll hopefully be able to showcase maybe at ASCD, sorry. Um, but it just makes it easier for our members to just download that, tick, has everything there. It's one card for the yeah. patient. So so when, when you say that card, so is that something that you give to the patient when they, and is that like a protocol that you guys recommend that members actually do? I know because I love that because I've had injectables everywhere and I'm like, oh, what did you have done? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Um, oh, 100%. I have no idea what they're doing. I'm like, just yeah. do you what you've got to do. Yeah, that's yeah, very yeah. common. You know, patients never know very what very they've common. had where. So it's not a, um, an aim at, uh, it's actually mm. come down from the TGA as a requirement um but unfortunately the tga doesn't send an email out to every aesthetic hcp and says hey guys you've got to do this now um it's kind of like you you stumble across it so we've tried mm. to centralized it um and i think for us covid was quite you know fortunate timing when we decided to do this because it gave you know, us time to do all the science and the research. Um, and if we were in clinics, we wouldn't have had that opportunity to be able to do it. So, yeah, so it's not uh, advice. One thing that we're, we're really careful of, Elle and I, is we're essentially the vessel to help mm. get the information out. So we're not opinion-based at all um, or what we think is good practice or bad practice. Um, it's really just what's the evidence stating and what's the regulatory stating and the science. So, um, yeah, so that will, that's coming, that should be, that's in effect now, as far as I understand. And it's the. It's so um, interesting that it hasn't been. Yeah. Yeah. Like it it goes on, because thinking about it, um, implants have had cards for years. When you get implants, you get your card that says, you know, it's, it's this brand. It's, um, you know, this is where, how, and all the details and um, like a barcode, literally. And, um, and same with like, if you had a pacemaker put in your body, Yes. You would have yes. all the details, you would have follow-ups, you know, and so on and so forth. If you change cardiologists, you've got all the details there. Um, so it, so it I is, think it's, yeah, yeah, it's sort of and changing it from it being implant to a medical device. So that might even be, you know, um, you know, mesh that's used in a, in a repair, a hernia repair or anything. So it's really, I think the only, the only thing kind of that it's excluded is sort of sutures, just all sutures and things like that. I think they've, they're not necessarily considered that they need a, yes um, well there was a huge class, yeah. class action with a mesh that was used yes um yeah. and yeah so imagine if there was if no one knew what mesh it was 100 they would yeah. never have been able to correlate hey all of these patients are having the exact same side effect oh and yeah. then yeah. patients yeah. can't remember yeah. the doctor that did yeah. it and, and so um yeah. so can i ask you so is this this is a requirement that, that mm-hmm. yeah from okay, the tga so, Okay, and and the, okay. we, we have, uh, yeah, we have the um, document in, within the regulatory section for the members. And we are looking at, obviously, um, you know, promoting even more awareness about it. And I know that, yeah, yeah it may, be, may well be a topic um, as we are talking at ASCD. So um, it is in the midst of, obviously, that is one of the topics mm-hmm. that we'll be kind of chatting about. Um, but I, I think in terms of we just want to make sure that the card that we've created is, and I've got a bit of a tick of approval from these advisors just to make sure if they wanted to add anything as well that there is their recommendation, I think is really important to have their input. Um, so what we've kind of learnt, you know, I think from even just past experience and commercial experiences, it's one thing to create something can be very quick, but if we just do a knee-jerk reaction, it doesn't necessarily benefit people. So we just want to make sure we get it right first out the gate um, so that everyone feels pretty comfortable with what we've 
100 yeah. Yeah, it's always better to be proactive than reactive, hey, because I understand to be like that. So, yeah. And even in my career in this industry, I know HAs and medicines that have been recalled in our, like, and they actually mm. have to take yeah. back products of certain batches. So mm. it's not something that doesn't happen just because it's a medical device. It actually happens more often than you think. Um, so it's really, it's really important. I was going to say from two different cosmetic clinics I've worked at, from a customer service point of view, which is obviously not a requirement, um, we in recovery, we would actually scan the cards and scan the details Mm -hmm. and not only upload them to our patient software, but um, like I worked for an ENT and we did like chin implants and that type of stuff. And um, we would scan it and say, you know, thank you so much for, um, you know, attending your one-day post-op. Please see attached, you know, in case you lose it, whatever. Um, And then they also had that digital copy. Well, that's yes. good practice. Yeah, that's yeah. great practice. And, and I, I guess I, this is probably where it, it's up to or everyone to kind of make the consumer aware so that um, it gets to the point where the consumer has their injectables done. It's like, okay, well, where's my card? Like the fact that they know that they should get this because I had no idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I absolutely. think that's really important. I think the more we can empower consumers to, you know, have kind of that checklist of what they should be receiving. I think then that will help increase industry standards as yeah. well. Yeah, and I think as well, like as a consumer, you, you kind of get a bit embarrassed because like you're kind of a bit, or I've been embarrassed to say, well, what's that? You know, where what are you putting where or whatever? But I, I try and do that now, not because I doubt what they're doing, but I just want to know and I just make notes on my phone now. So um, You want to be informed. But there's a power, it's because there's a power shift, you know, someone's really vulnerable when they're having a treatment. Mm-hmm. So... You know, even when I get, get other treatments done, I kind of put my trust in the physician that they're going to do the right thing, right? And then there's that power imbalance. So, yeah, it's, it's a very natural thing as a consumer to do, right? Mm. And I was going to ask you, so so you've got a whole, um, like a panel and, um, you know, you've, you've set up the... Um, the occlusion, ocular complication support team. Like, how do you pick these people? Um, that's a good question. So, um, I'm really like, I think I've worked in quite like New Zealand and Australia as well as international, and so I've been very fortunate to work with really well respected um, physicians that are trainers that have written, you know, really good documents and papers. So with the advisory panel in particular, we tried to make sure we had a specialist from each sort of area of, of, of need. Um, but it's also kind of their, their own, their credentials, um, in terms of, uh, you know, um, being published, um, being contributing, being supportive and helping people. Um, yes. Because essentially, a lot of our advisors in particular, more so than we drop down to the um, field experts, they have been having patients knock on their door or find them or a physician's passed it on to them, but there wasn't a framework, there wasn't a structure, there was a poor handover. So, you know, one of our, um, you know, really experienced advisors, I think when we spoke to him, he was saying he was having around 15 patients that is managing other people's adverse events. Mm. 
and wow. we so they, they, we saw that there was a need so um we think we we chose them on their willingness to be supportive and help empower and share information um that they're you know published as well as you know they're dedicated and focused on safety um and uh they're very experienced they've all got i think some of them have got over 20 25 Oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're, um, they're incredible really brains and minds yeah incredible and then regarding our field experts um we're fortunate that we're really well networked um which unfortunately is not often the case and our field experts assist in, in terms of some are quite um specialized so they they have their own specialty where they do like ultrasound guided um hyaluronidase for us um if there's a vascular occlusion and we need we need support there some uh radiologists so you know if we need to do an mri um and all of them are quite passionate about aesthetics most of them either are trainers or have you know published a paper and very heavily invested um and i would say all of them are very willing to share be open um, and really want to help improve industry mm -hmm. standards. So we're very fortunate. Um, I think at the moment we have something like 35 throughout the whole of Australia. Um, so we have a large team and it's constantly growing. We're in New Zealand as well. Mm -hmm. But essentially there's not one kind of fits all. We speak with the advisors as well um, and make sure they are you know, um, covered. We have insurance. Um, both ourselves and there. So there's a few, you know, checklists that we do. Um, but that's, that's essentially how the, the field expert teams have come about. I might have, have I missed anything else in regards? To no, that? no, I think you've absolutely nailed it. I think, yeah, the, this is, it's very much a business that stems from passion, really. Um, I think that that's a really important part of obviously we, we could have the most, you know, experienced a practitioner out there, but there are, you know what, there are a lot of people and quite understandably so that don't want to see complications coming through yeah. the door. And I, I totally understand and respect that as well, right? Um, and I think, yeah, our, our experts and advisors are those that, you know, kind of, I guess, similar to Bron and I, this, this business really fills up our cup. Like they really are very passionate. We really want to help when, you know, something hits the fan, so to speak, you know. Yeah. And so it's... Um, you know, it takes a certain type of person, I guess, with that, as well as having, you know, um, extensive experience within aesthetics and, you know, the willingness to kind of, yeah, just have their arms open to any practitioner yeah. that needs help in any, because at the end of the day, it's really about the patient. And I think one of the things that, you know, what we're trying to kind of showcase is also to create a bit more of unity in our industry, because we're all in this for the patient to make the patient look and feel better nobody who's injecting is willingly trying to put the patient in harm's way or create any kind of an unsafe environment so there's certainly cases where obviously some people don't know what they don't know maybe perhaps they're new maybe perhaps you know they don't they're not aware of that latest research and that's kind of obviously what we're trying to do is funnel this information through so that people have to spend less time looking for the latest advancements um, um i agree with you like, like the fact that oh sorry it's okay. such a it is such a helpful industry like i've seen at conferences and just the fact that or the practitioners you know they want to help each other they want to impart their mm. knowledge onto the next person and that's something that i've always noticed so it is good to have that a little bit more 
uh, structured, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I see a huge um, disconnect between like bridging the gap between knowledge and, um, you know, the theory and the actual practical. So I don't know if you guys are aware, but one of the um, Australians of the year this year was a mother whose daughter was in a car accident. Um, the daughter unfortunately died. Now, there are a lot of people on the um, on the scene and none of them knew first aid. And through the coroner report and everything mm-hmm. was determined, had somebody on that scene out of, you know, over a dozen people known first aid, she would be alive and would have been saved. So that propelled, you know, this this woman um, who lost her only child to then go on and do um, free first aid courses and set up yes. all these different first aid courses across the country. Yes. Um, most people I know, most people you would know, like tons of people do first aid courses every single day, you know, through St. John's and all the different various things and work and places and whatnot. Um, but then most people obviously don't, you know, perform CPR or attend to a snake bite or all the different things. But we go to the first aid course. I'm sure you guys have done one too. And we, yes. um, yeah, we've all done them. And we do, we actually do, you know, do the donut, um, you know, for the, you know, someone gets impaled with something and we do the snake dressing and all the different things. Um, in aesthetics, and I've been to tons of conferences like you ladies, we don't actually role play. Like you do have the anatomy mm-hmm. workshop where yeah. you do an anatomy yeah. you know, course and you do how, yeah. where, like I said before, cannulas and, and whatnot, different needles and gauges. But we've ne- I've never actually seen somebody do a, an actual role play of this is what we're going to do in an adverse event. But could you imagine if you went to hospital and there's a met call, you know, alarms are going off and all the nurses and, and doctors and surgeons started butting heads you know, didn't know what they were doing because it's never happened before, but they've read a thousand books on it as opposed to having, okay, this person's airway, this person, you know, circulation and everyone's ready to go, knows exactly what they're doing, what their role is and how they're going to do it. And I just find that really bizarre. It's it's not. So we did a recent survey in Australia of, you know, when was the first time you'd reconstituted hyaluronidase? Over 60% of the respondents either hadn't reconstituted it ever or the first time they reconstituted at an adverse event. And like you said, no one's role-playing. No one's practicing for this. So that's something Mm -hmm. that we have recognized as well. And it's something that in the safety portal with the hyaluronidase section, that is is there. But we were just talking about this the other day that we are actually in the development of actually having really short, sharp videos of actually showcasing what it's like so that in clinic they can actually roll this out and have a tutorial ready to go and they do it annually like we do our annual cpr and take cps well exactly we know it works sales do role plays of you know cold call um 100 and i think (laughs) i know i I certainly know i've seen um dr stephen Liu and bernice ellis actually have have done a a little role play in terms of their minus protocol and I think and I think that that's great and I think we absolutely need more of those sorts of things and it you know it doesn't always have to be about the blindness obviously naturally we definitely want one for that but um you know it could be an occlusion and a lip it could be a consultation ways to which you know we could actually look at a whole role play from before with the consultation treatment oh we've got an occlusion how you manage that patient afterwards um that kind of thing so yeah there's certainly we've got a lot of a lot of plans in terms of the development um i think it's been a bit tricky for us to obviously be able to even do the filming during COVID, particularly in victoria we're both based there so mm. um this year we've got a lot of a lot of kind of really catching up to do i guess um but you're yeah, right no, i think that's the, the crux of the name you know aesthetic met is literally mm. met call right is to have that framework because and in your nose you know, priming a line 
you yeah, throw totally. it away like it's useless but you stand there and you prime the line until you can get it and totally. you know, eventually totally. it's second nature but you're, you're literally practicing something yeah yeah no 100 percent. and you know we, we would love to get to the kind of the point where you know we can possibly have enough resource to run safety workshops so whereby yes we can have you know experts and actually showcase how to inject a certain area but the focus is less on the aesthetic result the focus is okay so this is where I am my needle tip is here this is the anatomy I need to consider um and you can still see the aesthetic results right but it's shifting that way of thinking about it and and then it's kind of talking about well why did you choose that product and because it is unbiased right so that practitioner can talk about why that product in that location based on more the rheology rather than you know the, the branding so to speak yeah the other thing i was busting to ask you ladies was where is the accountability with um expiry dates so for instance um you know if you're working in a nursing home or you're working in a hospital or somewhere um you know you check the sa book every night or you check the sa book every morning or whatever the process is for that that facility um but i've never actually noticed anybody having an sa book or actually checking every single drug because you don't have to because it's not an sa um, no, it's not an S8, but there is certainly logbooks for it is an S4. Um, yeah. So they're supposed to be in locked cupboards and you're supposed to have a, a, a logbook to So that. what happens so, if something is expired from, or let's say, you know, you've, you've got a, a clinic that have all of their filler that's about to expire next week, do they put it all on sale? Oh, well. <laughs> do you know what um, I mean? Like what is the, yeah. the process? I mean, I think, that, I think that process comes down to, well, ordering stock I think there's internal clinic processes that you know and I certainly know from a pharma company perspective like there is a minimum amount of an expiry date that you kind of have to adhere to in terms of to sell the product so if the if on the clinic level they're you know running close to expiry date then yeah they need to figure out a way to either so use as a consumer we just or... have to trust yeah well, otherwise well, they need yeah. to discard and hopefully with these implant cards it gives a little bit more accountability, but essentially, That's yeah, you it. have to trust they're yeah. doing the right thing. They're storing it the right way. You know, they're single use, a lot of the things that are being used. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, yeah. Yeah, I find that expired, weird. You see ads for 0. 0.5, you know, 199, 250. And I'm thinking, how do you do a 0. 0.5 mil lip? Oh, there's a lot of people doing what they call decanting. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll take it out from the filler syringe into um, BD syringes or another syringe. So, um, but yeah, certainly there's there's a lot of different practices that are kind of I suppose the pharmaceutical companies will consider off label and they don't they don't advocate. Um, you know that doesn't necessarily mean again that it's not commonplace um, yeah. or that it's incredibly unsafe even right. So um, it's just a case of understanding. But I think certainly with the expired product, as you know, the implant card will definitely help because the practitioner the will have, have to have to hand that on to you know making sure the patient. that backup product if there is an adverse yes event, so I found that really interesting you're yeah, not using it's... something which is what happens with the SAs that's why they do constantly go out of date because that you're not using it. it's PRN you know it's yeah. only if required so um, we saw on the survey the largest hmm. proportion in terms of how many highlays files are on on hand the largest percentage and oh, I can't remember exactly what it was but the highest percentage was um from two one to five vials which blows my mind no (laughs) it's like that that needs to be the that's when you get to five vials you need to order more like that's it that's that's 100 what you need right um and a lot of people are not prioritizing 
um, hyaluronamase stock, which is so, again, another reason why the survey is kind of helping us to kind of pivot our, you know, the, we, we need to identify the need to be able to pivot our business towards that. So um, that's certainly something that I found quite interesting. You know, and, and I love that you guys are, are standing for, you know, unity, you, you know, the, the fact that we need to be united for, or you guys need to be united for the, you know, like you said, the better good of, you know, patients and practitioners. Mm-hmm. And I also like the fact that um, you're not saying, you know, do this and you won't have any complications. You, you are saying that complications will happen. It's a numbers game, but it's what the important thing is what happens after that complication happens, I think, which is where... And it's, you know, yeah, the goal is that no adverse event. You're not going to judge. (laughs) Yeah. And no no adverse event is mismanaged. Yeah. And they're not scared to contact someone because, you know, there's 24 hour support for people. Sometimes when people call, it's actually not the most scariest thing. It's, you know, they're reconstituting a different botulinum and they just need help because they want a better outcome for that patient to prevent an adverse event occurring. Or if it has occurred, they want to know, are they doing the right thing? And we're a safe place for them to call and yeah. just talk it through. Often they don't need further field expert or further ocular support team or things like that. It's just knowing that they're well supported and connected Um and in terms of our subscriptions, you know, we, we're, we're unbiased. You know, it, it's dentists, it's nurses, we've got plastics, we've got germs that are members, which we're, we're quite grateful for, but <laughs> there's doctors. So it's everyone who in Australia is illegally allowed to administer the medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and our field experts ray from a whole range of specialties um, and all of them are willing to help any physician. Yeah. And, and is the goal of AMET to have, uh, like, basically, you want everybody on board, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, we, this is a passion project of ours. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is something that we are very fortunate we've got such a supportive um, network, but it's, it's essentially, be, it's, a, it's a love project. And for it to evolve and get bigger, we were, we would love people to get to a point where when they think about getting into aesthetics or when they think about their learning and education, they actually think about AMET first because you should think of safety before aesthetic results. Because yeah. aesthetic results can come. You can always tweak the aesthetic result. You sometimes can't always tweak the safety element. Mm. Um, so we need we need as much uptake as possible. And I guess for us, we try to make it as affordable as possible so people think of this like their insurance. Um, we're trying to work with some insurance companies to see the benefit of you know, um, getting better pricing for a HCP in their insurance if they're an AMET member. Um, we're really trying to use as much networks as possible. But yeah, Elle and I need as much industry support um, as possible to make this actually a, you know, sustainable. Um, totally. Yeah. And I think we, we need that uptake as well to have a more universal voice for the industry. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if if we only have a small pool, then, you know, the, the need coming from that small pool, that member pool is not necessarily going to be representative of the industry needs. So I think it's really important. And the survey that we did, you know, we actually had 50% of them were members and 50% weren't, which is fantastic. That's exactly what we want, right? We don't want all of our data coming just from our little member pool. We want it coming from the industry. So, and I think we want people to feel a part of something 
great something bigger something yeah where we are all united and you know it, it is that point of coming together like i said so i think yeah look we have we have a big vision and a big a big goal but you know we know it's a long way off yet but yeah so tell us how can people join your safety movement I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so okay. funny because you know we look at each other like who's gonna. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Um, we know we do the same thing. Oh, do you? Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so essentially, you just jump on to um, the website. You can just Google Aesthetic Met, um, and uh, yeah, you just jump on and you sign up. Um, there's a few questions. Everyone has to be an upper. Um, you know member and things like that they're regist- registered so there's a few you know ticks and balances and checks and balances i'm terrible with names um but yeah and then and then you sign up and that's it away you go you know you can contact us straight away on the 1800 number um or you can jump on once you've been approved you can jump on the um, safety guideline and start looking at you know the resources there um the interviews with some of the advisors so there's lots of information you can obtain there but all the information on how it works is just on the website for a consumer how do i know what um practitioner or professional is an amat member you yeah. like window oh, um so no that's a really great question we're actually in the process of launching a find an amic practitioner um so that you know patients that are looking and we currently do have um unbiased information about injectables for patients so obviously because we know our website will be found by anybody that's searching um and so the idea is that obviously patients can actually have a look at unbiased information about risks side effects what the products are um with links to APRA and and things like that they've got fact sheets out there um but yeah essentially there will be find an AMET practitioner so if a patient is looking for somebody that um is an AMET practitioner or or obviously just a way for the patient to kind of I guess filter through to find somebody that is very well connected should something go wrong so if they are quite anxious um in terms of the patient then that may be very much a, a easy way for them to make that decision between practitioners or this person's obviously well connected um should something go wrong so, yeah and that, that's just going to be very much a, a value add for our members it's not we're not charging anything for that that just comes as part of being a member um we're just yeah grateful and wanting to give something back to the people that are supporting us i think it'll make um as a consumer it'll make you feel more confident and comfortable with um you know the person that you choose to do your injectables Yes, 100%. We definitely have to put that on our site so people can make sure, check that their yeah. member is an AMET member. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be and even, fabulous. And even like a checklist for patients, if you're going to get injectables, make sure this, 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 this you know I mean? There's there's those six yeah. key things that they should, yeah. you know. Yeah, there's certainly a, pre, a pre-treatment checklist and yeah. things like that on there. Um, so, so you know, it, not to, you know. Sorry, if uh, a patient finds our website, um, because it's very much in the healthcare space, but if they do all the information they can find for a patient is actually it's not in a subscription service or anything so it does have the checklist it actually has you know signs and symptoms to watch out for um so if they have been treated and they can't get a hold of their physician they at least know what they should be looking for um so yeah we've tried to make as much information as possible for consumers if they do um stumble upon the site that's a really good idea because, um, like, we've, we've got a, um, a Facebook closed support group and sometimes, mm. well, people will go in there and say, oh, my God, this has just happened, but really they're probably better off to just renew. <laughs> mm. 
Yes. Yeah, we try not, and that that's great. One thing we try also, we've had patients contact us directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really hard one for us because we are a physician service. So we've really encouraged that patient to go back um, to the practice. However, there has been a case where, you know, at the end of the day, I think w- whatever we can provide to a patient will benefit um, the industry. So we have had um, a few patients that we have helped to make sure that they've been able to see somebody um, so they're safe if yeah. they haven't been out again touch with their physician. But it's not the cause of what we're trying to do. But we, if, some, if a patient did find us and called us, we would definitely be supportive and help. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so yeah. much, ladies. Yeah, have you got any other questions? I'm, I'm like, my brain is like, whoa, that was so interesting. <laughs> I know, so much information. You, you guys are just incredible. And kudos to you, the amount of people that have, you know, told Trish and I about um, Aesthetic Met and said how great it is and all that they're a member and they're really proud of being a member is just so cool. You've done mm. a, a, a phenomenal nice job in a short time. Oh, thank you so much. Thank That's you. Yeah, lovely to hear. Yeah, yeah well and done. we really appreciate, well you know, the support, you know, and um, thank you so much for this opportunity because mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, if we just keep chipping away, you know, our goal is that hopefully, um, you know, we can spread a bit more awareness and, you know, I think you guys, what you guys are doing are brilliant as well. You know, I think it's about making aesthetics, you know, welcoming and acceptable and safe for every person and trying to change the shift of, you know, the the kind of, reputation to a consumer the industry may and sometimes be perceived as Mm, yeah and you know what Uh, before we go i i reckon um you've got a massive market there in even just getting to people before they become qualified to do injectables because Mm. um like the unis and the colleges are probably a great market because if people realize that you should actually this is you know the number one priority before you even get into it i think it's just going to you know over the years it'll just you know change people's perceptions like okay i've got to do the safety bit first and then i can you know do the study or whatever 100 percent. you know we we say quite often the first injectable you should ever inject is hyaluronidase and learn how to inject that first before you learn how to inject a pair of lips and we really want to change the shift of the reliance on the big pharmaceutical companies because they can't teach that so they just teach the pair of lips but they don't teach you the safety part first so yes if we can get there i think that's a fantastic um it will change our industry in a positive direction. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us today, ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Awesome. Awesome. And listen, look, if you do do want to find out more, you can just go to the Aesthetic Met website, which is aestheticmet.com. And um, Bromwood and Elle will, you know, they're just um, amazing. You girls are amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Got a burning question for Trish and Nick at Aesthetics Uncensored? Slide into their DMs on Instagram at Aesthetics Uncensored. Stay positive, boobs and chin high.